Well, hello everybody and welcome back to another episode of GUcast. This is Declan Murphy, urologist here at Peter McCallum Cancer Centre. Empty chair behind, <laughs> beside me uh, so far today. I'm afraid um, uh, Renu is uh, off doing some jobs, but hopefully she might join us uh, during the middle of this podcast. Um, so you'll have to just put up with me a little bit for the moment. But I do have some fantastic guests and we've got a really a very special episode today dedicated to Prostate Cancer Awareness Month here in Australia. September is Prostate Cancer Awareness Month. And of course, it's always a good idea to draw some attention during this time of the year to men who may be at risk of being diagnosed and indeed support men who've already been diagnosed. But we have a particular interest this year because it's very much post-COVID and especially for us here in Melbourne where we had very severe lockdowns for most of the past couple of years, it did affect some behaviours, some normal uh, healthcare behaviours and one of the things that we clearly see as we'll talk about today is a change in the way in which men are uh, being diagnosed with prostate cancer or as it turns out not being diagnosed with prostate cancer. So that's what we want to talk about today and I'm sure for viewers and listeners around the world uh, you'll be able to take a lot out of this as well because I think much of what we'll talk about is being replicated uh, all around the world. Uh, so joining me in studio is a um, friend of the podcast coming back, uh, Alan White. Alan, welcome back. Thanks for having me back. Great. So Alan's been on the podcast before and he's one of our advisors on the podcast as well. Uh, he's a prostate cancer survivor himself and has been a huge advocate himself and his wife, I should say, Fiona, uh, supporting patients. You've written a book. You've got a fantastic website. You lead a prostate cancer support group. So it's great to have you back on the on the GUcast. Thank you. Uh, and joining us as well for the first time on the podcast, my colleague here at Peter Mac, Professor Grant MacArthur. Grant, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, fantastic to be here with, uh, with you on the podcast today, Declan. Yeah, so Grant, why don't you tell us a bit about yourself, your professional background, and maybe a little bit about yourself as a patient? Yeah, thanks, uh, thanks, Declan. So um, I always describe myself as a clinician researcher. So as a young lad, I was pretty fascinated by science and and really fell in love with the idea of what science could bring to people's health. And so did medicine, did a PhD, um, specialised in new treatments. Um, so I've had, you know, really satisfying career to date, um, trying to turn around difficult diseases and get better outcomes for patients, which has been incredibly satisfying. Um, and then a bit, bit of a surprise uh, now back in 2014, quite a few years ago now, you know, diagnosed as a relatively young fella um, <laughs> in uh, only 52 years of age, um, diagnosed with uh, prostate cancer. So um, um, uh, treated with a radical prostatectomy stage three. So, you know, it's definitely some risk of relapse, but doing uh, very well uh, so far and... Um, very important disease, of course, uh, in our societies um, to, uh, to tackle and to look for, for better outcomes because uh, not only you know, can it be uh, fatal, unfortunately in some cases, causes a lot of um, problems with quality of life as well. So, you know, really important disease. And thank, thank you to the uh, GU cast and the team and Alan yes. beside me uh, for everything that you do. Yeah, and look, uh, what, what I want to come and talk to you very specifically about, apart from all that background and your own personal background, is you also are a very big leader in cancer here in Australia and uh, here in Victoria, and you head up a, a network that was uh, set up 
uh, at the time COVID started, uh, a COVID cancer network for, uh, established by our government. And I sit w- on, w- on that committee with you and we've been tracking prostate cancer diagnosis. So I want to come back and really talk to you about mm-hmm. that and what, it's, um, what, it, what we've learned about prostate cancer over this period in your role chairing the task force. Uh, but I also want to uh, go to our Zoom line as well and welcome uh, Anne Savage, who is the chief executive of the Prostate Cancer Foundation here in Australia. And thanks for joining us on GUcast. First time uh, on the program, and it's great to have you. Thanks for having me, Declan. This is a wonderful program, and I know you've got a worldwide following, so very honoured to be here. Thank you. And you're one of our partners as well on GUcast. Uh, we are partnering with uh, important consumer-facing and research-supporting organisations like the PCFA. So great to have you on and uh, to talk about this issue today. But Grant, maybe we'll go back to you and talk a little bit about uh, what we have seen over the past couple of years in the task force uh, that uh, you're working with in terms of prostate cancer notifications here in Melbourne, Victoria. Victoria is our state uh, in particular. Do you want to tell us a little bit about uh, the observations we've seen over this past couple of years? Yeah, so we established a task force to really uh, help with many different aspects of the pandemic and the challenges it threw up for uh, the care of cancer patients and, you know, cancer is such a huge public health problem. Now, one thing we did which was fantastic, I think, was to bring in our local cancer registry who are very innovative registry, they have... Um, a system of electronic pathology notifications. So they get pathology reports with diagnoses of cancer in not far off real time. Mm, yeah. And that enabled us to get a measure of what was happening to cancer diagnoses you know, around our state uh, through the pandemic. And as has occurred in many jurisdictions all around the world, there's definitely been a significant reduction in cancer diagnoses. We overall estimate that even through now into 2022, it's probably overall about a 7% reduction in cancer diagnoses, you know, and that number you know, still needs to be cleaned and verified with high-quality data, but it's been very substantial here in Victoria, and in fact, in other places around the world, even greater than that. So it's been a big problem. Now, what is of interest to us today is that the biggest reduction in the rates of cancer diagnoses during the pandemic is in prostate cancer. And, uh, you know, the exact numbers, um, it's only an estimate, of course, because you're looking at historical controls, what were the rates of diagnosis of prostate cancer, how did it change during the pandemic. But it's definitely number one here in Victoria. Um, We know from administrative data around PSA testing from um, in Australia, our federal government, that there's been, um, there was a very substantial reduction in, in PSA testing. There was a huge shift has occurred all around the world in um, men and uh, women um, um, re- not attending their general practitioner in the normal way, but doing telephone, you know, telehealth. And, you know, we suspect that this is not an optimal way of uh, investigating those at risk of cancer and having the conversations that you need to have to uh, do the appropriate testing, you know, to detect a diagnosis of cancer and especially prostate cancer, which of course is uh, is um, highly prevalent and 
has you know, a complicated path to, to obtain a diagnosis for many men. And I recall when we were uh, having these monthly meetings, um, we would get data from the cancer registry showing by tumour stream, breast, uh, colorectal, et cetera, et cetera. And in the earlier parts of the pandemic, when lockdown was leading to, for example, breast screening closing and endoscopy suites closing, uh, we could see these graphs where here are the expected number of colorectal cases and here are the actual number. And yeah, dropping 10, 15, 20% as those screening places were closing. But as they reopened, it did bounce back up very quickly. Um, but the problem was with prostate cancer, wasn't it? We were looking every month at this, and the prostate cancer line had dropped down, I think, about more than 20% um, at one point, 20% of notifications down, and stayed down the next month, and the next month, and the next month, and the next month, and the next year, and stubbornly stayed way, way, way down. Um, and as these months have gone by, um, uh, again, allowing for the fact some of the data needs to be cleaned, allowing for active surveillance biopsies and so on, we still are left with, we think, many thousands of patients probably uh, here in Victoria who would have been diagnosed over the past couple of years if um, if they were having normal care and haven't been. So they're out there in the community. That that That's really the concern. Yeah, absolutely. And uh and, you know, the re- big concern there is we, um, the concept of stage migration that whilst waiting and not being diagnosed that those mm. cancers are growing and are a more advanced stage, which uh, is, a, is a very significant concern. So, uh, Renu Eepen has joined us. Hello. Uh, for those of you watching on YouTube, uh, hello, Renu. Welcome back. Fantastic to see all of you. And Alan, great shirt. Yes, of course. In blue. <laughs> oh, I forgot to comment on the shirt. Yeah, right you've got to do it. I just don't yeah, notice these things. Absolutely. But yeah, great topic and very timely and important for Prostate Cancer Awareness Month and never has it been more important than <laughs> after three years of a pandemic. And for those who think that's a random comment about the shirt, do you want to talk for a moment uh, for a bit of light about Alan and his shirts? We've discussed well, it on the podcast before. We have. I mean, Alan is known for his uh, shirts <laughs> that brighten up everyone's day, but Alan should talk about it really. But you, how many of these have you got, Alan? Oh, only about 30. <laughs> I do repair them. You do. And his wife puts up with them very well. And, yeah. I, and I don't think I've ever seen the same one twice. So yet, no. it's uh, it's fantastic. Okay, that's our sartorial bit uh, done with. Now, can we go back to the serious business? So, Alan, so what we just commented, what Grant has said, is we as uh, clinicians have been watching this data uh, over the past uh, couple of years, yes. and we definitely have felt it as well as as you know, uh, full time prostate cancer specialists that we are not seeing the same number of men coming forward with raised PSAs to have an MRI scan to have a biopsy, yep. and of course we've measured that as well. We've measured that PSA testing is down and MRI testing is down, but it's cumulative. So over these months and months now, there are thousands of men out there. So from your role uh, as a prostate cancer patient advocate, um, leading a big support group, running a big website. Uh, what are you hearing on the ground, I suppose, might be my question. Well, unfortunately, I'm hearing that blokes are getting picked up late, as Grant has explained, <coughs> with some, not all, but uh, supposedly some GPs pushing back against even doing the PSA testing in the last three years, which I find disappointing, for to say the least. And uh, when they do get discovered, um, it's become aggressive. And in fact, with in contact with a couple with the doctor, even though the PSA was nine, and he did a DRE, which was fantastic, and he could feel it, it was firm like a golf ball, still didn't send him off. Now, that's the exception, possibly, but I'm hearing men aren't getting tested when they ask for the test. And it seems to happen more in regional rural areas, which means they are missing out even more so. And I think Anne will um, <coughs> probably talk about this later, that for men... Most practices are only open between nine and six. They're too busy working. It ain't broke. Let's not fix it. And then the COVID kicks in 
And from my experience with GPs, they're working only part-time, so to even get an appointment has become even more difficult. So there's been this ripple effect through the GPs who are getting burnt out and then trying to see a GP and then get a PSA and then get told, no, you can't have it because I don't think you need, you need it. Is yeah. But then the, the flip side is we've also been talking to another gentleman whose GP was on the ball. It was only three, three and a half. He decided to do some more tests and was discovered he was 45. It's on the actually PCFA community Facebook. He got picked up, had the MRI, had a biopsy and it was cancerous and it was aggressive. So there's a flip side to everything, but I, there still needs to be more communication around all men need to be checked, whether whatever age they are, starting with you know, 40, then doing to 50. But it becomes part of the health checkup. So it normalises something that's done every 12 months rather than just focusing on PSA. That's my, my particular view on it. So you check cholesterol, sugars, blood pressure, etc. So it's, you're maintaining yourself. And if PSA is left out of it, and to me, free to total is important aspect of that because that little indicator is a good one of indicating even you can have a lower PS, low PSA. If the free to total is really low, then you, there's problems going on. And I think that's another part of the education that needs to happen. Yeah, um, there's, there's one of the things we've commented, Grant, in the um, Victorian COVID Cancer Network is that men not coming in and being diagnosed with prostate cancer means they're not going in to get a PSA test, maybe in a chat about that. But it also means, as just as Alan said, they're probably not coming in to get the cholesterol checked, get the blood pressure checked, have a mental health check, etc. And we've commented that this drop in prostate cancer diagnosis, predominantly men in the 60s or thereabouts, uh, uh, is reflective of a change in their general health-seeking behaviour. And I think it is a canary in the coal mine for a broader issue around men's health. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, no, I think that's absolutely true. In fact, you know, the data from our COVID network backs that up because other cancers in men are also disproportionately reduced compared to women. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I work in the field of melanoma, so more melanomas um, are being reduced in men compared to women and other cancers as well. So, you know, Alan, what you were saying really resonates with me about a, a different behavioural response mm. to men about their health during the pandemic than, than women. And, uh, and so, you know, it is, Declan, I agree, canary in a coal mine scenario, you know, that's a wake-up call um, in this Prostate Cancer Awareness Month to really think about, you know, men's health. And yep. we've got to learn from, you know, what happened in the pandemic and why, why men, you know, are, getting, um, uh, are not getting diagnosed with these uh, various conditions. And it's not just cancer, as no. you say, Alan, it's a whole shoot and match. It's a shame, isn't it? Because I think what the pandemic has done is it's put another hurdle into what is already an uphill battle, which is, which is men's health and awareness and seeking, you know, advice early. Um, and I think we really have to work extra hard to, to get over that hurdle and bring it at least back to what was baseline beforehand. Well, let's uh, go to Anne Savage. <coughs> so, Renu, Anne Savage, uh, PCFA Hello, Chief Anne. Exec, is here on the Zoom line, Fantastic. listening carefully to all that. So, prostate Lovely cancer awareness. to meet you, Renu. Yeah. Look, I'm, thank you. I'm, I'm happy to dial out some statistics if that will help to contextualise the discussion. But, you know, prostate cancer is the most common cancer in Australia today. So the scale of the impact that that you're seeing right now, you know, it's no surprise to me to hear what Grant is saying. And while we haven't necessarily seen the same patterns in all states of Australia, 
we as an organisation, exactly the, you know, the types of observations that Alan is making observe the same every day in managing a prostate cancer specialist nursing service and tele-nursing service around the country. So our own work has, has shown us that 70% of Australians do not know the, the, the PSA testing guidelines at all. And in fact, if you know what PSA stands for, you're, you're probably more likely to be qualified with PhD. And, and that really speaks to the, the low levels of awareness in this country about prostate cancer. And, you know, for us at, at PCFA, it's, it's a call to mission. You know, what Alan is saying is, is incredibly true, that there are still many GPs, um, you know, who think back to those legacy years where there were legitimate concerns about overdiagnosis and overtreatment who still have their heads buried in the sand about how far we have come, and that's thanks to the great work that you're doing there at Peter Mac, in you know, in terms of diagnosing prostate cancer more accurately, and then also in being able to identify those prostate cancers which require more aggressive treatment. Um, you know, so we see today about 70% of men with low-risk prostate cancers go on to active surveillance. The concern through COVID was, you know, initially a 60% drop. In, in rates of PSA testing nationwide, and that's massive. Um, the, the, a lot of the calls that we're getting now are also for men who are actually stuck on very long waiting lists because the backlog now, even for biopsy procedures, is just so tremendous that all hospitals and facilities around the country are actually having trouble finding rooms to treat men. Um, you know, all of this is really significant. Uh, in, in terms of the impacts that it, that it has. And then, you know, Alan and Grant as well spoke to the, the tremendous toll that it can take on men's lives. You know, it, it, often many men who may survive 5, 10, 15 or 20 years are also then living with, you know, the side effects of their treatment and the disease, and, and that can be harrowing. So you see rates of anxiety and depression, which are quite high, you know, as many as one in five men up to 10 years after their initial diagnosis experience either anxiety or depression. And we do know that suicide rates and the risk of suicide death among men with prostate cancer is much higher. So, you know, we have a lot of work to do as a country. And in fact, we, we have been in the press this morning speaking about the fact, and, you, you know, this is, this is, we're talking about Australia's most common cancer and if you asked me what level of public funding goes into prostate cancer awareness campaigns in this country so government supported campaigns similar to those that we see for bowel cancer and breast cancer how much goes into it you know i'm struggling to find you a figure we, we don't spend anything on it and we need to and and that's the sort of stuff that we're talking to mark butler about at the moment and that's certainly why we are reviewing the psa test guidelines um, what Alan is saying is just stuff we see every single day and it's heartbreaking. So we do need to do something about it. Wow. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, it's the behavior change is the thing that strikes me as one of the biggest challenges because uh, it's been hard enough to get men to come along and get ourselves checked out. Yep. But over years and years, I think in Australia, we actually have better early detection than many other countries like the UK, for example. Um, but nonetheless, it's, it gets undone very quickly, and I think that's what's happening. It's getting undone, and I do worry about all the other mental health checks and blood pressure and this and that. So so I suppose, you know, Renu, uh, before we talk about the strategies to, okay, how can we reverse that and, you know, make sure men are at least well-informed and re, re, re-change back towards getting checked out, 
Are, what's your sense on the sort of patients we're seeing nowadays? Um, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, that ripple effect is very obvious, isn't it? Because we really are seeing patients whose, you know, PSAs were three or five, three years ago, and now they're 100, oh. you know, or they're, a, they're 200 or, you know, and they've got metastatic disease. There's a bunch Three of them, Grant. Later. We've talked about it a little bit. And, uh, and you know, for people listening to this, I'm aware, uh, you know, patients listen to this, Alan, you've mm. told us before, PCFA <laughs> network. And so this can be very, very close to the bone for some listeners. So we're very conscious of that. And obviously, you know, reach out to us for help if we're talking about clinical situations like this. And, um, and there is great support out there through PCFA and through your own healthcare practitioners. But we are now beginning to see them. The patients are coming back in. And here at Peter Mac this morning in our multidisciplinary meeting every Thursday morning, we had like two cases of patients who... Um, had PSAs done very, you know, regularly up to 2019. Both of them, actually, as this turns out, men in their 60s, PSAs four or five or thereabouts, you know, and we're keeping an eye on them. And then one of those chaps turned up in June this year with a PSA of 37, and it was repeated, and it was 42. Um, And we looked at his scans this morning, and, you know, this looks like um, advanced prostate cancer. And then the other chap who's having a PET scan today actually um, uh, has a PSA of 151 and a fit guy in his 60s. And he's actually already had conventional scans done before his PET scan showing he's got secondaries in his bones and stuff. Um, And in speaking to these families, you know, they are consumed by the fact that, well, my PSA was five or it was six. What would it have been in June 2020? I get my PSA done in June. That's my birthday. You often hear this. And I'm I'm very, I get a checkup, but I couldn't because we were locked down. You you couldn't leave the house for five kilometers. You couldn't even get a telehealth appointment. And then, then, okay, things opened up a bit. And then the following June, we were shut down again here in Melbourne. Another winter of shutdown in Melbourne. So I didn't get it done then. And here we are June this year. So the last one was actually 2019. Both these. So we're seeing these, unfortunately, men who were, you know, you do wonder what would the PSA have been? It would have been 12 or 14 or whatever, you know, and would it have made a difference? Goodness knows. But for yeah, having such said... such a common question to get, isn't it? Yeah, oh, exactly. But what would it have been? And having said that, though, and as I've said to Grant throughout the whole process, for the vast majority of men... You know, it it really doesn't make much difference because, as Anne pointed out, we actually diagnose men and put loads of men on surveillance because they got favourable cancer. And actually, even the ones with slightly nasty cancer, most of them tend to grow fairly slowly. So as long as they do come back in mm. and we'll pick them up. So these cases we're talking about are but far the exceptions to the rule. But nonetheless, for those individual patients and their families, it's it's very impactful because they keep dwelling on it. Um, yep. And myself and Renu and all our colleagues here, this is we're seeing this now increasingly as the biopsy numbers are going up. Yeah. And just to follow on <coughs> from Anne talking about the figures, if 3,300 3, men are dying every year from prostate cancer, if that was a road toll for roadkill for Victoria, I think it'd be on the front page of most papers and people would be throwing arms up and saying, well, what's going on? But it's just under the radar and, you know, mm-hmm. oh, okay, 3,000 men, you're okay. But <coughs> I, I can even add some statistics to that, which is simply the fact that if you look at the men who are diagnosed under the age of 60 every year in this country, it's, it's, there are more men in that group than you see in other groups for both men and women for other really deadly cancers like pancreatic cancer. So, you know, over 3,500 men are diagnosed under the age of 60 and many of those men will actually have aggressive disease in Australia. So we need to rethink the way we conceptualise prostate cancer. So while many men will have slow-growing prostate cancers, significant numbers of men have aggressive prostate cancers that really do need action and, and monitoring, surveillance and early testing, like Alan is saying. 
you know, we, we can't continue to ignore this group who is so severely affected um, when they're, and, and they're caught off guard. It's an invisible enemy. You, you know, you don't feel unwell. Often you have no symptoms before you present with potentially advanced disease. And we've certainly seen that in older age groups as well because the current recommendations recommend against testing men over the age of 70. You know, and as a cruel result of that approach, we've seen many more men in, in that age bracket being diagnosed with metastatic disease when they may have absolutely survived the disease if they'd been given a chance to test for it. So what Alan is saying is, is completely correct. It's interesting, isn't it? Because I think, um, you know, rightly so, over the last few years, the pendulum really kind of swung from over-treatment, over-diagnosis, over-treatment to, you know, placing more patients on active surveillance, which is absolutely the right thing to do. But there are, uh, as a side effect, what happens is there's a perception out there that prostate cancer is nothing to really worry about. And I think we really have to clarify that there is a, there is a subset of prostate cancer that is aggressive, that can be lethal. And these are the cancers that we want to know about. So, cheer ourselves up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what do we do about well, it? What do we do? You know, you know I, I, I thought I might add, um, uh, Declan Renu. I mean, this, the, this, it, it's actually a big question in cancer to diagnose the cancers early that are going to be fatal, mm. right? It's a big question. Cancer Research UK had a grand challenge of trying to distinguish between you know, lethal and non-lethal cancers, haven't got there yet. And organisations like PCFA that are funding research, it's so important because, you know, I would like to think, you know, my son who's 25 and, you know, dad's had uh, prostate cancer, that there'll be just much more sophisticated testing so you know who is with a high degree of certainty who's good for active surveillance but who really needs uh, intervention and predict the likely outcome with a lot more certainty. So I think there is a call for research here as well to bring that certainty. You know, you want... Alan, you just want certainty as a patient, don't you? And, you know, because I'm a cancer clinician, I deal with uncertainty every day. So it was sort of easy for me, but, gee, it's hard for people that don't have those skills to deal with uncertainty and that's what we need more research and identify you know what path each individual patient should take we also have some data recently that we estimate about six hundred and thirty thousand australian men who currently have not been diagnosed are facing at least double the risk of the disease and that's because of their family history so you know we know that um, men who have a direct male relative so a father or a brother who has been diagnosed with prostate cancer or a son, and we have seen some cases of that, have at least double the risk of diagnosis themselves. And when we do those estimates, you know, we, we need to prepare for this as a country. We need to raise awareness and we absolutely need to provide the essential services and support and the treatment and the wonderful work that, that Declan and Renew are doing and Grant, uh, you know, to, to try and get on top of this and get in front of it. I think that's a really important point. I think not only do we need to raise awareness, but we need to back it up by being able to provide those essential services. I mean, those two things go hand in hand. So the research, yes, I get it. So, but what about listeners uh, there today, um, Grant, or maybe we'll turn this towards you as well, Anne, um, you know, people who are either at risk, you know, who's at risk? Well, men in their 50s and 60s, I think we should all go and have a PSA test, definitely if dad's been involved. So if you're out there listening, you haven't had a PSA test or need a chat with your GP, have you done a fecal occult blood, et cetera, 
well, maybe this is the week. Why don't you put along a little? But what about yeah, someone who's dad, etc., or uncle, or husband, or loved one, etc. So I think we we here have a little role in ourselves of saying, well, have a look at the the men the men in your life or, or yourself, and and maybe go and have a check. But I suppose broader than, I mean, there can be policy measures um, like Prostate Cancer Awareness Month. What other things? And um, uh, 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 before I come back to Grant about his network and the ear of government that he enjoys, uh, what can you do um, to try and get this message out, especially? as we return to more normal levels of functioning, even though the health service is under massive pressure, clearly. But what, 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 what can we do to get the message out to, to Oh, look, I'm so, I'm so glad you asked. Um, in fact, the really foundational thing for us right now is reviewing the evidence and releasing a new set of PSA test guidelines. Uh, what we also must do, and this is imperative, is ensure that in addition to a set of new clinical guidelines, we also must release a set of consumer guidelines. And we've never had that in this country. And in fact, I've looked around the world and I'm not aware of too many nations or, or comparable jurisdictions who do. And, and the need for that is more urgent than ever, because as soon as you empower people with knowledge to understand and detect a disease, you can take action against it. And then, and then that helps. Um, you know, and the side effects of low awareness and stigma in this country are many. We, we see people still commenting on some of our Facebook advertising for Awareness Month. Wanking is the cure. I'm not even sure if I'm allowed to say that word on this podcast, but, <laughs> but that gives you an idea of like, wow, how did we get to this point? And you know what? It's not that person's fault. This is on us. We, we have to raise awareness. We have to overcome that stigma and the taboos. We have to educate people that this isn't, you know, it's a, it's a simple PSA blood test and we need to do better to come up with very clear guidance, particularly for men who are at risk. You know, we need to raise awareness of family history risks um, and age-related risks too and create some understanding around that. Um, but, and um, you know, throw over to Grant in terms of this, the wonderful stuff that's happening there and, you know, we wish we could see that in, in, in every jurisdiction in this country in terms of trying to track and monitor in real time as opposed to, you know, finding out six months or a year later that you've got a real problem on your hands. Um, you know, it's incredible work and it's just so vital. And Renew, I think November's coming up again. That's another yes, good time of the year for, yeah. again, not just prostate cancer, but general men's health stuff as well. Men's health in general, exactly. And Grant, so, you know, you've discussed this a lot uh, in the network and you have done some very good messaging and through the VCCC here as well, the Victorian Comprehensive Cancer Centre that you're executive director of. But what else is happening or what can we do to, you know, do a, some sort of sustained messaging over the next six months or a year and try and get men back into the habit of having a, a checkup of, of, of all sorts. As I said, this is not just about prostate cancer. We, we think it's the canary in the coal mine. Yeah, look, it, it is actually a really challenging problem. And a couple of comments, you know, I'll make. First of all, um, a lot of our political leaders are trying to pretend, you know, the pandemic and the health problems are behind us. They're not. And, uh, and I think we could have much stronger leadership in, in encouraging people to engage, you know, with the, the health system and be more aware of a whole variety of health problems. You know, I think there's greater awareness of mental health issues as a result of the pandemic. It's talked about a lot more, so that's great. But there's a lot of other health issues as well. And I don't think we're being proactive enough at the government policy uh, level in what can be done about health issues and to be a lot more proactive in that space. So that's one thing that that, that could be done. Um, you know, one of the things that really strikes me as an opportunity 
uh, not just in Australia but around the world, but we're lucky in Australia to have quite strong primary care. So I am um, sit on a um, program board for the International Cancer Benchmarking Partnership. You know, Australia pretty much has, and Victoria, best cancer outcomes in the world. A lot of that correlates with, you know, very effective engagement comparatively with general practice. But we've got to do more because we all know men that just don't go to their <laughs> GPs, right? So I'd like to see, you know, real uh, consolidated effort in, in encouraging that. And it's all about health literacy. We don't, we don't have any systematic way of improving health literacy in this country or really anywhere in the world for that matter. And we've yeah. got to tackle that because we're moving into an exciting phase of a lot more autonomy in people's health care. It's not just doctor knows best anymore. People are taking more responsibility. Um, so we've got to increase health literacy so people will uh, be aware of what can be done and in the case of uh, prostate cancer, the best path for them to, you know, to get an early diagnosis if they're, if they're at risk. So these are all really hard things. They're not quick fixes. But we've got to talk about it. We've got to think about it. Um, and, uh, and I think with time, you know, I'm, I'm pretty optimistic. Just think about the youth of today and how engaged they are in social media and the internet, you know, that's got to be an opportunity, yeah. doesn't it? That, you know, so when they get down to my age, you know, they're, uh, they're just all over, you know, health information. So, you know, I'm optimistic about the future. It's not easy, but, you know, we really do need to think about this, um, this health literacy issue. And there's definitely a role for leadership in government here. Fantastic. Yeah, I mean, I think that's what's going to make the main difference, especially for something like prostate cancer and PSA screening, where you're not really relying on symptoms at that stage. You're really relying on knowledge and health yep. literacy, really. Yep. Um, but it's interesting that you mentioned social media because, and you know, I've been seeing more and more uh, PCFA posts on Instagram and on Twitter. And is that a, is that a conscious thing? Um, is that a conscious effort to, to try and in increase awareness? Yeah, look, absolutely. It's core to our strategy. There are a lot of men out there who actually you know, haven't felt like they've had a legitimate place in any kind of a, a, a social context in this country health-wise. So they've, men often say to us, you know, like, where's all the talk about prostate cancer? You know, in relative to other major cancers, they just don't get a look in. And for us, it's about building community. It's about validating what they're going through. And it, it's also about connecting them with other men because yeah. it's such mm -hmm. an isolating disease. It takes so much away you know it, it really does for a, a lot of men isolates them in their homes and and uh, you know if we can do anything to change that and we have found social media an incredibly powerful way of doing that particularly through facebook for pcfa so you know it, it's an area where we we do need um to as much as possible you know focus some of our efforts in terms of even just raising awareness and having people actually socialize this disease differently um, than they have in the past so you know that's a that's a big thing for us and it it, it all has to kind of hang together you know um, you cannot do any one single thing and expect it to work we need to change the culture around prostate cancer as well. And this is a powerful way to do that so that men don't feel so alone when they're going through the disease. Fantastic. Absolutely. And Alan, you've, I mean, you've been such an incredible ambassador for prostate cancer efforts for so many years now. I mean, this must, this must really hit home 
Look, it does, and, and what Grant and Anna talk about, about using social media, because I was thinking, <clears throat> when you look at the Rotary Alliance Clubs, a lot of them now have their own little social media Facebook spots as well as their emails, so that could be the next way of promoting awareness around PCFA, prostate cancer, men's health. So, as Anne said, you cannot rely in any way just on face-to-face meetings now anymore. So, you can have a face-to-face with a local local Rotary Club, but why not get them to put it on their Facebook, on their emails, etc. so you're covering as many bases and hopefully raising the awareness of men that then they have to take that responsibility of going and have the checkup. That's a bit of a tricky one, but I guess if we keep raising it and keep putting it in their face and talk about your health and maintaining your health. So if you live regional rural and you're on a farm, who's going to look after the farm if you fall over? Who's going to look after your business? Who's going to run the family? You know, that sort of thing, it's, it's not just about you, it's, about, it's a ramification. And if it doesn't get caught early, your quality of life will go down the, the plug hole, really, especially with the uh, side effects of erectile dysfunction and incontinence, which as soon as men find out, they freak out about, oh, my God, am I going to... And I've heard of men don't want to get treated because they want to maintain their sex life. Well... You might maintain it for five years and it will fall over. So you have to, I feel you, I have to be really blunted with them to say these are your options. You put it off, it's going to get worse and you won't be having any of that and you will have even more difficulty. So you've got to give them the, the facts basically. But I, I think the other very important part of that messaging is that for the vast majority of people out there, people listening to this, if you go and get it checked, get it, the, the highest chance of all is that your PSA is normal. It'll be fine. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So this is the really important message. It's great. Mm. Yeah, my PSA is 1.2 or whatever. You know, whatever. People go, okay, compared to... That's the vast majority of people yeah. who mm-hmm. go out there and get checked. But Because what we're talking about is making sure that that first time you get your PSA checked, age 60, or because you got back pain, it's not 150 or 2,000 or whatever. So that's the extreme example. So the whole point is it's easy. Just get it done. Yep. High, uh, the, big, the highest chance of all is you're going to be reassured. So that that's what, and even you know the other thing, Alan, that we've talked a lot about, of course, is if you do get diagnosed, and men are terrified. Oh, I've heard about side effects, but for the vast majority, well, a very significant number of the men we diagnose, we don't even treat them nowadays. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, or you come and have a PSA test and maybe have a scan. You don't have a biopsy because everything looks okay. So yeah. it's a completely different, I think, to the experience of people many years ago. So that's a message I want to get out to people listening. You know, of course, side effects are always uh, of concern, but the, the for the vast majority of people out there at risk. Okay, you're going to have a, a test and you're going to be just reassured and come back again a year or two later. Exactly. 100%. And like from where I sit, we're within five years probably of finding really effective ways of treating it even when it is aggressive or at advanced stages. And that's such a credit to the work that you're doing there, you guys. Um, you know, we've made amazing advances just in the past three years alone. So, you know, just think where we could be soon. So, you know, our big call to action is also fund research. If, you, if you've got a few dollars to give, give generously because the, the difference that you can make, particularly with prostate cancer, is is tremendous. And, you know, the lives that, that you're saving will be, you know, potentially those of your own family, you know, looking at the scale of prostate cancer in this country. So, you know, no reason to hold back. Fantastic. Well, what a nice way to finish. Yeah, I think that's an optimistic message. Great. Well, look, thanks very much, Anne, (laughs) Anne, for joining us, and um, uh, well done to PCFA for all you do. we had to say goodbye to Grant a little Uh, earlier. And, yeah, Grant has uh, had to duck out and do uh, go back and do his real day job here at Peter Mac. And, Alan, thank you for coming in and and joining us. And uh, hi to Fiona. um, uh, Can't wait to see the next shirt. Alan. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Get right. it ready. <laughs> exactly right. And uh, and that's it from me and Renew. And um, yeah, so if you're out there and you're listening or you've got a loved one who might benefit from knowing that they've nothing to worry about, yeah, 
send them out to have a PSA test. Absolutely. Think. Yeah, exactly. All right. Uh, that's great, Renew. Um, that was fun, wasn't it? That was good. Yep, good message to get out there. Yeah, let's hope we get the message out and uh, yeah. m- men might come in along and get tested. Nothing to be afraid of. You're highly likely to be reassured. And then, great. Everyone's happy. Everyone's happy. Thank you very much. Goodbye. Bye.